Living a well-balanced lifestyle goes beyond ensuring your finances are in order. Welcome to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara speaks with wellness industry leaders and related professionals to share more than financial planning advice. She addresses your questions about living a healthy lifestyle at any age. Learn how to gracefully maneuver life's challenges with support and resources to guide you along the way. Barbara and the team at Hightower help you make a plan, make an investment, and make a difference in your own wealth and well-being, and in your families, and within your community. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with your host, Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara, how are you? I am terrific, Eric. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. It is so good to be back with you. It's been we had a little bit of a hiatus there. We did. Now you're back we at did. it behind the microphone and you have a guest ready to go for the show. I certainly do. And we're going to have a fun discussion today. It's going to be on screen time and mental health. Mm, all right. Mm, I, I know you and I, <laughs> you and I <laughs> spend some this. time on the screen, don't we? Just a wee bit. Yeah. No kidding. Well, you and I, though, didn't grow up with mobile phones, computers, and the internet. Um, unless you're really surprising me, Eric. Is that true? Oh, no. <laughs> you didn't? Okay. All right. No, I grew up with an Atari, and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. I started with Pong. So, yes, mm. we had one of those too. Oh, well, see what fun pass we've had together. Oh, yeah. So, have you ever thought about the pluses and perils of screen time? Oh, yeah. I, I really didn't. I'm not much, except when you think about social media, but then email, online searches, the day to day school and work activities. And so, I was wondering how it affected our mental health and that of our children, which is what led me to think about the screen time and what can we do to stay digitally healthy? So are there techniques you use that you know of now, Eric? I don't know many of them. Yeah, I'm not good at using any of them. I'm much better at using my screen than I should be. And so, yeah, that's uh, it. It's, it's so a tough. challenge. It's, it's tough, it's right? A it's, it's a challenge. And, and with the kids and with the grandkids now, it's like a more of a hawk when it comes to that because I'm like, I don't want them on so much screen time. You know, it's I don't want the TV to be their babysitter or the little uh, Kindles and things. Um, oh, sure. You know, so we limit their time and then we engage them in other activities. But I know it's not easy for parents that are also trying to juggle work and everything else. For grandparents, eh, you know, I'm not working. So bring the grandkids over. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, we're going to learn more today from our guest, Susan Reynolds, and then we can see how to use some of her information, not only for ourselves, but to help guide our younger generations. So let me introduce Susan, and we'll check in with you in a bit. All right. See you soon. Well, I'm delighted to introduce Susan Reynolds, who has over 20 years of experience in digital well-being, youth leadership, and mindfulness. In 2019, she co-founded Look Up, a not-for-profit to thrive in our digital world to discover, empower, and mobilize youth leaders who are taking action to raise awareness, inspire, and design a healthier, more inclusive, and responsible digital world. Susan has a BA in history from Dartmouth, a master's in children's literature from Simmons University, and a master's in education from Tufts University. So join me in finding out about Susan's journey and her advocacy for mental health as we navigate setting screen time boundaries. So welcome, Susan. Oh, thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. 
Well, I'm so excited that you agreed to be our guest today and what a mission you have taken on to address digital health. We look forward to learning how to create this tech life so that we can balance what's healthy for us mentally, physically, socially, and personally. So I want to go back for to the beginning when you were an educator to where you arrived today, because you were an early adopter of a digital curriculum back when there were limited capabilities and schools were hardwired. Right. So what even back then, how did you question the impact of the digital access? And what was your aha moment that led you to co-found Look Up? So really, really interesting. I taught middle school, seventh and eighth grade English and social studies, uh, really very foundational in curriculum development, combining English and social studies into an integrated curriculum. So the interesting thing going back to 1997 was when the headmaster hired a director of technology, he really expected him to literally wire the school, write plan, integrate the curriculum, and then go ahead and train the teachers. Now, when you say wire the school, you meant dropping the cables into uh, the walls back then, right? Absolutely. (laughs) And what was happening was he was spending so much time on that, he hadn't written a tech plan. And so the interesting thing for me was the headmaster came to me and said, could you do some research and write our tech plan? And I said, well, sure. How do I do it? He said, I don't know. Just go ask Michael. And so when I asked Michael, he said, well, you just go on the internet. And I literally said, what is the internet? So that just gives you a framework. And he said, go to Columbia Institute of Learning Technologies. I mean, I can speak to it as if yesterday. And so I found my way there and I literally felt my brain speed up when Mm -hmm. I met the internet, the hyperlinks and the ability to move um, from sort of thought from thought from link to link. And so I really questioned at that very moment what impact this was going to have on youth and education, not really thinking about entertainment or the social aspects of it. But Don Tapscott wrote a book called Growing Up Digital. He wrote it in 1995, and he literally predicted the promise and perils that we're seeing today. He talked about internet addiction. And when we think about it, the internet was so different than it is now. And there were no phones, there was no social media, but he still saw this addictive nature of the devices. And that and was so in 1995. I, I'm sorry to that interrupt, was, but he, he said uh, no, no. And, uh, Don Tapscott wrote the book in 95 and I started this work in 97. But and as he, he saw it then. He saw it then. And as an educator, I started to integrate technology into the curriculum and noticed very early on that there were really positive things that you could do with it. We made web quests, which were really early internet learning adventures. But also I watched my students use AOL IM. And that was the little and the first version of instant messaging up in the upper right hand corner of their computers. And they were distracted. And I found a way in by actually saying, I'll give you extra help on IM. And so I would talk to them about their paper, send me your paper, and we would talk it on about it on IM. But it was really also a research on how was technology impacting our students and educational technology. And when we think about it is very different than social technologies, so really beginning to identify the differences and how in the world do we right, maximize the benefits and mitigate the harms. And that goes all the way to the present moment. Wow. So that was your aha moment 
And the aha there, I would say there were two aha moments, right? In okay. 1997, when I felt my brain speed up and right. felt like there was something going on here. But the other aha moment was I read a, a very difficult sentence in 2014 from the Stanford provost who said college students had never been more anxious, depressed, addicted, self-harming, um, suicidal ideation. It's really a, a an alarming sentence. And then when I dug in deeper, nobody was really talking about the impact of living in a digital age. Nobody was really talking about the impact of social media. And so that's when I dove into the research. But if you think about it, this is 2014. And it wasn't until 2019 that I realized that most of the solutions were coming from adults talking about what children and youth should be doing. And when I realized, wait a minute, we, my age, I don't really understand. I didn't grow up with it side by side. My digital identity was not created same time as my social identity. And so when adults would say to youth, you know, just put your phone down. And finally, one young woman said to me, she said, Susan, you don't understand. I've had my social media accounts, my Instagram account since I was in sixth grade. It's part of me. So when you mm. say just put my, your phone down, you're asking me to put part of me down. And that was really <sighs> the identifying moment for me in we need to turn to Gen Z, the, the youth themselves, and ask them what their pain points are. And begin to include them in the conversations for the solutions. And that's what you've done with Look Up. That is what Look Up is, yes. And really early on, I was graduated uh, from Dartmouth College and was working in their entrepreneurship center to create an adult solution. When we re and then quickly realized that the youth themselves, the students want data, but not sure. necessarily the solutions. So that was when Jamie Coughlin of uh, Dartmouth, uh, it's Magnuson Center for Entrepreneurship said, let's give a founder's grant, but let's put your question on it. How might we create better tech life balance in order to overcome digital overload and digital addiction? And we held a design thinking contest. That's really where we started and then began inviting other universities to do this. And we had our first cohort of students who we were going to fly out to San Francisco. We had a space in Black Rock in San Francisco. We were going to lead this whole symposium and have everybody meet each other. And you can imagine what happened. Yes. Uh, COVID hit, right? Right. Um, and it was not a bad thing necessarily for us because like the rest of the world, we moved to a digital platform. Sure. So kept all the youth. They met their mentors. They worked with each other. It was just virtually the way everybody else was. But the other interesting thing, digital overload now became a very common term. And when we first started this out, we almost were educating about the problem. And all of a sudden we didn't have to educate necessarily about the problem. And the problem splintered into, st we still needed to work on tech life balance in digital overload, but social isolation and loneliness students solved for. And then the flip side of that in tech for good was how do we use social media for good for digital activism? And this was right after George Floyd was killed and Black Lives Matter and youth. We had some students create youth, youth, Black Youth Matter. And so they were really talking about it from the youth perspective, using social media in that way. So these young people became the leaders with their ideas of how to 
engage with each other on managing their digital time. Absolutely. And the other thing we realized too was near peer mentors. So if the college students created something, it was much more palatable to younger students to hear sure. this from a near peer who had some semblance of um, understanding what they were going through, as opposed to what those I of us that myself. played Pong and Atari, as we just heard. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I understand. No, that's terrific. But I want to go back a second. When you read that Stanford study about the depression and anxiety and stress, one of the things that in reading about screen time and how that can also disrupt sleep, is some of that part of a sleep deprivation being um, demonstrated sometimes as opposed to we we don't want to just jump right into, you know, someone's uh, basically just depressed? You know, are there other things we should be aware of, especially with our children? Sure. I mean, when I first started researching this, there was a lot of correlative data, but not causative data. So that was the first really interesting piece. And what we found was maybe it wasn't the cause, an overuse of social media, but it certainly could amplify an existing problem. And the other thing that was really, you needed to delineate was the quantity of time versus the quality of time. And so when you were using your phone and social media mattered, and that's one of the things where sleep is so important. And it wasn't necessarily just what was happening on social media, but the fact that students' FOMO, fear of missing out, mm -hmm. extended into falling asleep. And so what would happen is there could be Snapchat conversations or texting conference going on all night long. And so there was this fear of if I didn't have my phone near me and answer a notification in the middle of the night, I would, I would wake up the next morning and have missed out. Oh so that goodness. was one thing we oh. were seeing. And the other thing is just the fact of distracted sleep. So if you think about it, if you roll over in the middle of the night and you wake up and there's no device around you, you mu it's much easier to fall back asleep. And what a lot of people do is instinctively, and especially youth, pick up their phone, see what's happened, and then start scrolling. And so the double whammy almost of disrupted sleep, but then the blue light from the sleep is interfering with the melatonin and sort of the whole process of being able to sleep. So one piece of data that you mentioned and that I found very interesting is that sleep deprivation can mask itself as anxiety and depression. And so if you start to take the phone um, out of the hand, I mean, some students sleep with it in their hand. Can't imagine. Distance. How do they charge it? How do they charge their phones? Well, they, well, I think you probably could have a long enough part cord to be charging it while I you're holding so. it. But I think that was the realization that the younger generation, that it is so much more an extent of who they are and not an add-on. And this is where the generational piece I feel is so important. And even between a 26-year-old and a 20-year-old and a 14-year-old, right? Because mm. the technology is just so much more developed and it's also been said that the sooner you have access to social media, the more likely it is that the anxiety and depression will come on earlier, if at all. Oh my God. So there's a lot of, and of course that, you know, there was a lot of debate in academic situations about correlative versus causative data. 
And I think uh, in the end of 2021, Frank Hogan, who worked at Facebook, came out with the Facebook files and she'd done all this research. And it was her causative research that Facebook conducted, knowing that one in three teen girls is impacted um, with self-esteem and body issues from oh Instagram. One out of three? So, one out of three. And most youth, I, particularly girls that I speak with say, oh, it's much higher than that. Oh, that's so sad. Well, you know, it's interesting. I read on the um, a study of Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that children eight to 10 average about six hours a day of screen time, children 11 to 14, nine hours, and teenagers, and this is from age 15, though, up to 25, spend at least seven and a half hours a day using screens. Now that includes TV. And it made me think back to my concern about my children watching Sesame Street for 30 minutes. So right. the the differences in the time being spent on our screens, and is it a big screen on a computer? Is it a small screen? And you had mentioned to me quantity and quality. I'd like to go a little bit deeper with you. And that is, you had mentioned to me once about active versus passive. And I'd love for you to dig into that a little bit for our guests. Sure. So the two pieces were the quantity of time and also when that time was. And so we can come back into, are you on your phones when you're sleeping <laughs> or, you know, or disrupted when you're sleeping? Is it when you're studying or doing work for adults? And is it when you're socializing? So that's the one thing about quantity and when, but the quality is asking, what are you doing on your mm -hmm. phone and social media? And Passive is if you think about a student or a youth, and particularly those who already may have a low mood, if they are past scrolling, meaning they're not engaging, they're just seeing perfectly curated lives of anywhere from movie stars and celebrities to, to their friends. And that constant comparison that's happening but the comparison is happening in a passive way. So it's just sort of these imprints on the brain as opposed to youth who are engaging with their friends and saying complimentary things or, you know, and this is where the digital activism comes in, where youth are actually using the platform to uplift and support others. And I have an example of this. I have one young leader. She had her own personal account. And then she created an account called Mentality Masterpiece, where she gave tips for improving your mental health or, you know, affirmations or just positive quotes. And she said to me, she said, I feel differently when I'm on my personal account versus my mentality masterpiece account. So she even recognized whatever she was using the social media for was really impacting her. And I think, I think you will find definitely found the same thing with, with youth who are creating TikTok videos. Hmm. So if they are creating a TikTok video to relay a positive message, it's going to uplift others or, you know, as a change agent for, for digital wellness or climate change or whatever it is, there is a difference than passively watching TikTok videos that are fed to you. So that's the other thing about passive versus active is 
the algorithms choose what you're going to see next. And Which can so be very frightening because it can take you down that rabbit hole, can't it? It absolutely can take you mm-hmm. down the rabbit hole. And actually, there are... Um, there is actually, I love that you use that word. There is a podcast called Down the Rap and talks about how a, a young man who just was exploring YouTube to find out ways to improve himself, all of a sudden, it not all of a sudden, but it gradually led him into a conspiracy theory and no. realized how he's how he had been pulled. And this is, I think, a really important thing to understand, particularly about YouTube is that the more um, divisive or outrageous or an extreme of a point of view, the longer you're going to, the brain just wants to stay on um, longer. And so the algorithms are created to keep you on the screen as long as possible. And this is what happened to this young man is all of a sudden himself in a QAnon situation where he pulled back and, and sort of did some advocacy. But how that. wonderful that he was aware and that Absolutely. he noticed that. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Wow. And we've been talking about mental health, but I am concerned too about the physical health. When someone's seated most of the day right. or just sitting watching a screen, the lack of physical activity, the lack of that real life interaction with human beings one on one, seeing people in 3D, you know, and You've been in situations, I'm sure, and seen people, and you mentioned this about um, studying, multitasking. They'll look at their phone, then they'll try and refocus and do their homework, or they're playing a game um, on the web that they can't get out of, right? If you leave, you lose. Right. So there are so many of these issues, physical, um, mental, and just social with the engagement one-on-one. So how can we encourage these in-person human connections, getting our kids out for walks or into sports more actively? What, what suggestions would you have? Well, I mean, this is interesting. It's, it is, um, so we are in, we have our fourth cohort of look up innovators and one one team is it's called timely and that's exactly what they are working on is how to inspire you to meet other people to go do activities oh that's wonderful screen. can we to, see to, that on the website if we go it's on our website they're developing okay. it now but i mean you you can read about that mission and i think during the pandemic the students that were trying to solve for social isolation and loneliness sure. were doing that as well. So how do we encourage young people to, to, to resist that pull of the addictive nature of the technology, of the social media, of the video games to go out and do something in real life? And I think as a parent of younger children, that's just something really important to build in to the family time. And sometimes it's easier to have spaces where there's no technology and times of the day where there's no technology. Because I think it's understanding that the design of the technology is designed to be very addictive. So for for young children, it can almost be painful to take their iPad away. And so to understand that and to build in opportunities like that. I think, you know, I think now that students are back on campus, there is an in-school, I think there's almost a giddiness about being able to be in person, but it is hard because- Wait a minute, it's not just for kids. 
Uh, no, those of no. us that actually get to go to parties <laughs> where there are human beings around us, it's, right. it's fun. <laughs> no, absolutely. Although one of the things that we have seen is there is a little bit more social anxiety of being in person because it's so much easier, right, to be behind a screen. So so I, I do know social emotional learning in schools is looking into that and looking into and understanding that there is some social anxiety after spending so much time, you know. Well, and you had mentioned to me also this 24-7 technology reaction of a flight or fight or freeze situation, what it does to us emotionally and cortisol levels. Can you share that a little bit? Sure. sure. So that's, and I think that, you know, I think one of the really important things is take the blame off the person, the user who says, you know, I can't get off my technology or I'm, you know, we'll often hear students say, I'm so addicted to my technology and understanding that there's some factors in this. One is called nomophobia, no mobile phone phobia, and it's a real thing. <laughs> oh my and gosh. it means that when you can't find your phone or you think you've lost it or you drop it in the toilet, I mean, that happens more than... <laughs> <laughs> more often than you would believe, or even if the if it, the battery runs out, there is a physical visceral reaction of anxiety. So it's not just in the head that the that it's been shown that the nomophobia. So that any type of situation like that, you can think that it sends the brain into a bit of fight, flight, or freeze. But the other really interesting piece of data was that we hold our breath when we check. Used to be called email apnea, and now it's you know gone over to screen apnea. So just like we stop breathing when we're sleeping, we inhale, but because it's called a variable reward system, we don't know what we're going to get. And if you think about the pressure to build likes and followers on social media, you post something and there's a, 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 an anticipation of a, just a short holding of the breath before exhaling. And what that does, if you think about that happening continuously throughout the day, it just puts the brain on high alert. Oh my right? gosh, then, that's fascinating. I've never heard of this. Well, so it's like wow. a low hum of anxiety. So we're walking yeah. around in a society that lives digitally, that is is just from the very fact of living in the digital world. It does not, you know, it does not have anything to do with sort of a flaw of your own. There is just a higher rate of anxiety. And when that the sympathetic nervous system is on alert like this, it's much easier for something that may have been at a three to jump to a six, right? In the severity of it. And so when we watch youth jumping very quickly to feeling like things are really, really bad, there is this piece of it that there is a brain chemistry and a nervous system piece of it. So, but there is a counter to that. And that and? is literally to just stop, close your oh. eyes, feel your feet on the ground and pay attention to your internal sense of self. And when I do this with students and, and adults and ask, you know, when was the last time you sat in stillness and silence, right? Some people oh. are like, and so the wonderful thing about this is it doesn't need to be a 20 minute meditation session. It can literally be a three-minute pause. But just taking that break. Just taking that break. Excuse the interruption. I know you're listening to Hightower's Keeping the Well and Wealthy podcast, but if you have questions related to these or other wellness and financial issues, 
please reach out to your advisor or go to hightoweradvisors.com to find a financial advisor near you. Now, back to Barbara. Well, since that, I believe, is one of your four S's, isn't it? Silence, stillness, and solitude. Yeah, that's one of them. And the other one is is pretty, the other three are pretty easy. Okay. Talked about sleep. So what happens if you sleep without your phone and you study without your phone or, or let's say do work. Um, And this could even be working on a spreadsheet on your laptop. But if, and this is a, a wonderful piece of data that students really gravitate towards and sort of sit up and take notice. But a study was done where the phone is off. So it's not even on, it can't ding or ping. Okay. And the proximity of the phone to you impacts your fluid intelligence and your in your and your memory, your retention. So if it's next to you where you can see it, it's the lowest level. And then if it's in your bag or your pocket, so it's near you, but you can't see it, it's the next level. And then if it's in another room, your fluid intelligence and memory retention is at the highest level. And so, wow, that is fascinating. Well, it's really fascinating because the phone is turned off. So what is that saying about our relationship to this device um, and what it represents? And I I think the other wonderful thing, Nicholas Carr, who wrote The Shallows, um, so I'm not going to take credit for this, but he starts out his presentation showing us a picture of the phone and all of the things it represents. So it's, let's just start with everybody you know is in there, right? It's your bank, it's your map, it's your newspaper. It, you know, I mean, I was just going to say it's your record player. <laughs> record player, I, mean, I love it. Yes. All right, it's your Spotify. It's your music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's your music. It's everything. And so, you know, just thinking about what this device is and what it represents to us, Um and, well, think and, of all the things we no longer try to remember. We just put in our phone and it reminds us. Yeah. And that's also called there's digital dementia. So oh, a lot of people, a lot of people can't remember phone numbers anymore. It's too many numbers oh. in a row. And we used to be able to. Yes, but we had a smaller group of people for whom we well, wanted to, to remember that's phone true. numbers, right? right? Right. But when you think about it, if your phone dies, most people haven't memorized. I mean, they've probably memorized you know, a few family members, sure. phone numbers, but just, just in the way that the brain changes and the way that living this way digitally has changed things. And I think awareness is really, really important. So even if you are aware of the impact and desire to change, don't change, that awareness still has an impact. It's still better than not having any sense of, of this data or this impact. Oh, that's great. I want to repeat your four S's so everyone is aware of these again. Sleep without the phone, number one. Study or work without your phone, number two. Socializing without the phone so we actually can have a conversation face-to-face. Right. And then silence or stillness and solitude. And yeah. not necessarily a 20-minute meditation process. No, no, just taking those moments. Because what happens is... The brain in the, you know, when we're living digitally very much in our brain and it can flip back and forth between the present, the past and the future, but our bodies. So if we just stop and literally feel 
a really easy thing to do, even like if you meditate, even before the breath, is just to pay attention to the heart rate. And most people will feel it sort of just sort of settle and feeling your feet on the ground because the body can't be in the future or the past. The body can only be in the present. So, you know, it just brings you down. And this was another aha moment, but Yuval Harari, who wrote, he wrote Sapiens. So interestingly, he wrote Sapiens about the past and Homodeus about the future. And he has some pretty interesting philosophies about the future of technology and our world. But then he wrote a book called 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. And 21st chapter is on meditation. But what he says is, if we don't do this sense of internal reflection or being with ourselves, and he's, again, not saying it has to be meditation. Sure. He was saying that the algorithms will have programmed our brains so much that we will not be able to know ourselves. So like we will not be oh, able. that's frightening. That's It is really frightening. Now, you know, and people can argue with that and say, you know, this is his philosophy. But just it became so important that we teach the next generations that, you know, it to spend moments in it, in 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 this silence, in the stillness, in this in solitude. And Cal Newport wrote a book, Digital Minimalism, and he talks about Gen Z and solitude deprivation. So they are sub- deprived of this solitude and this ability to be with themselves. And it's much more uncomfortable. But your your platform on LookUp is really doing a lot for youth where the positive activism, because, you know, they're making changes, they're being positive in social media, giving a friend a boost for being positive. The change making that you're doing from negative experiences to more positive in their lived experience, and not just social media but also giving them some guidance on how to manage their own screen time. And I just think it's so cool that you have this program where we have the youth coming up with ways to help manage screen time, mental health, physical activity, social relationships, and they can talk to each other. Absolutely. And what's really been fun as well is students who make short documentaries. Mm-hmm. And um, one recent from our 2022 cohort, um, Ryan Ha and Michelle Andia, and they're at NYU and they're filmmakers. And they took three subjects uh, who spent a month off social media. And these were creative artists. So a dancer and a musician, um, and then a, two types of musician, a piano player, but then also a, a musician who made electronic music. Mm-hmm. And they really spoke to the impact of social media on their craft and how much more they enjoyed their creative process off social media because they weren't consistently judging themselves against other people on social media or again, that proverbial likes and followers, right? Oh that it goodness. just becomes a quantitative popularity. So probably improve their creativity, just totally. having that and away from their minds. Away from their minds and their enjoyment of it, which was really interesting. So it's a 13-minute documentary, right? Where Ryan, um, Ryan Films and Michelle produced, and they take these three, you know, 
peers, college students through this process. And so it's another great way of storytelling and ways youth are communicating to their generation. And I just recently showed this video to a group of youth from Denmark yes. who were studying technology and its role in society. And they were looking at the way it impacts the individual society. And then they were also looking at you know, one group was studying the dystopia of it, and the other was the utopia of it. But they loved watching this documentary, right, from American college students and and reflecting on it and then comparing it to the trip they went to. They had been at Meta the day before. And so it's just in these conversations that youth are having with each other that I find is so, so exciting about this. And they really care about living in a healthy digital world. Like they well, really care. And I don't want to neglect um, a story you told me about the brave young women that had experienced some eating disorders and how they were using their voices online. Absolutely. And I think that's what we're seeing. And what I'm seeing is, especially when we talk about to mental health advocates, that many of these students are using a lived experience with a harm and turning that into their advocacy as they have found a way to heal. So I think, you know, one of the things that's really, you know, proliferating and is, is eating disorders among young women. And when women speak to it and are able to join advocacy groups, tell their stories, give resources. And not um, feel like they're alone. No, and to be able like to give some positive stories and say, here's what we can do and some online yeah. safety bills and other proactive, positive changes. I think, I think the other thing that was, has been pretty exciting to see and um, the documentary, The Social Dilemma came out mm -hmm. in September, 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. So really raised the awareness and it talks about people over profits for and thinking about how we use technology, how we design it and regulate it. And when when the documentary came out in September 2020, regulation was sort of, yeah, right, pie in the sky. <laughs> it was it yeah. that was sort of that the attitude about it. So we really need to figure out how to use it and encourage new designers to design healthier technology. But since Frances Haugen came out with the Facebook files and testified in Congress. There are more bills coming forth. Now, they are very difficult to pass um, because the tech lobbyists have a lot of resources. Sure. But California did pass the California Age Appropriate Design Code, um, which was based on a UK bill with a similar structure. And it's really putting pressure and, and legal parameters around how we design technology and social media for youth under 18. Um, wow. The other, that's, the that's progress. The, progress. Well, it's great progress. And I think what, uh, and then there's the Kids Online Safety Act, which is a federal bill that didn't make it out of, it didn't make it out into the end of the year package to be passed, but it is being reintroduced. And I think a lot of the lawmakers in both state laws and all understand that they need youth voices and advocates 
alongside of them. So what we're seeing is this bubbling up of youth coalitions and youth-led groups really focused on advocacy and training students how to write op-eds and how to write petitions and how to speak in front of legislation and Congress. So I think- Well, thank you, know, you that, for all the work you're doing. That's well, just no, amazing with their leadership too. Well, yes, and it's been so rewarding to see oh. that- you know, the feeling that you can make a difference and students will say, you know, if I have a calling and a purpose like this, it really improves my mental health. And I think that's the other really powerful thing. Absolutely. So I know we're getting close to the end of our little discussion here, but I want to repeat some of the things I've heard you say today to help us digitize for better well-being, our own well-being. So putting down the phone in a different room, that helps not only with sleep, but maybe focusing on our work or studying, Absolutely. shutting down screen time. How soon before bed do you think that's healthy to shut down the phone? You know, the longer you have before going to sleep, the better, the um, better. Yeah. Well, and oftentimes if we, to do. well, if we shut down the phone, then we're watching something on Netflix, right? right. So got to weigh that yeah. out. I didn't even <laughs> talk about the binging on Netflix. Which is oftentimes on the phone, right? There you go. But also being intentional about the time and the responses that we have and finding that silence, that time to just look inside and to be quiet. So that's that was a, a big aha moment for me. And then I love using social media to boost others and for advocacy, using social media for good and the impact that had for the young woman that realized when she was doing the positive, it made her feel positive. Right. That was Absolutely. so cool. Well, Susan, how kind of you to share your time and help us get digitally healthy. Oh, and no, absolutely. <laughs> well, before we invite Eric back to join our conversation, my last question for you is how do you keep your well in wealthy? So how do, how do I keep well? Well, I don't have a problem with my phone but I do have a problem with my laptop, right? Uh, and it's interesting, right? Because we can always work. And so starting to put boundaries myself around when I work um, and when I pull that laptop up and really making sure that I balance um, my work, advocacy and working with youth with mindfulness and yoga. And when I find that I haven't been practicing yoga or spending time in the silence, whether in silence or in meditation, I start to get edgier. I've noticed that. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to, to balance that. And I think everybody has uh, some aspect of living offline away from screens that can help balance that. But being aware of it, and I think, you know, for adults, you know, especially an entrepreneur or a social entrepreneur or running a nonprofit that we, we don't have to work all the time and, no. um, give ourselves permission, to yep. exactly. give ourselves permission to shut down so they can, our guests, anyone listening can listen, can go to lookup.live, L-I-V-E, L-I-V-E, yes. Okay. Lookup and they can also reach you by Susan at lookup.live, L-I-V-E. Yes. It could be live or live, right? Look up and I know. live or I was... look up live. No, I mean, and the funny thing is people think it was so intentional. It's like, well, no, but all the other org net, you know, com was all taken because it's for looking up in your phone book, right? Or the white pages. Right. <laughs> 
No, that's great. Well, thank you for sharing that. And Eric, can you join us? Absolutely. Oh, well, man. <laughs> oh boy. So hearing Susan's advice on pursuing digital health, what questions do you have for her? Well, I, I guess the question is, is how does somebody do this and how easy is it? Because here's the thing is that I'm comparing this to my doctor telling me that I need to eat healthier or I need to exercise more. We know this, right? We know that. We know that there's a certain equation to calories in versus fat on my belly. Right. <laughs> kind of thing, right? <laughs> exactly. And, right. And, yeah. And, and oh, my, my, my body is sore and tired, you know, climbing up the stairs a couple of times. Well, it's because you didn't do anything else besides maybe walking around the house and climbing up the stairs. So you need to exercise. As an audience member, just kind of taking this all in, I've heard a lot of this before. A lot of this stuff was brand new to me, but knowing put the phone down get it out of your hand don't be so attentive to it it's it's tough to do it's so it's, hard to do so how are you seeing this amongst the young people that you know are they saying okay i'm sleeping terribly i'm gonna try this and implement it and now i'm seeing a difference i mean what is there how many are adopting this really well i think it's a slow adoption and again as i said that whole point i mean it's another thing of, around mindfulness as well once mm -hmm. you there's something that you could be doing, even if you aren't doing it, that awareness is step one. And I think what happens for youth who try something like this is they do it because they've recognized there's a real problem. Mm. And then they try it and the the difference in how they feel is so extreme that, that they adopt it. I also think, I mean, I didn't mention Maddie Freeman who has, it's no so November, Dot org And she made a short film with Jeff Orlowski, the director of The Social Dilemma, and she leads a social media challenge in November and goes to schools and friends and advertises it. And I, so I think if there's a challenge that you're doing with a friend and then just knowing that there's a solution, even if you're not doing it all the time, it's at least it's, it's sort of cumulative. It grows. But that is so important that the technology itself be redesigned because mm -hmm. it is addictive and it is like, it is like food, you, you know, alcohol, you can completely abstain from and decide, right. That, that the way that I'm going to do it, you can't abstain from food and you can't abstain from technology, right. Our yeah. world is digital. So it, it, you're absolutely right. It is hard work and it's a process and it comes incrementally for many. So I do have one follow-up question because I think it, again, tying it into exercise, tying it into dieting, whatever you want to call it, um, people want to see results right now, right? I mean, we jokingly said years ago, we're the microwave generation. Oh, it's a whole lot faster than that now. It's the Instapot right. generation or whatever you want to call it. People want results now. So what are you seeing when these young people are making that decision or adults making the decision to make a change? How long does it usually take for them to see benefits? Well, I can give you, I can give you, you know, our own research data uh, very early on one of the, it was a week, a week off social media in some manner. And again, it was a choice of, am I going to sleep without my phone, study without my phone, you know, socialize without my phone? Am I going to do one of these? And I'm going to do all three of these. And we had a group of sixth graders do it. And when we went around the room and they talked about the impact, it was incredible. Like one boy said, my mom doesn't have to wake me up because I didn't stay up all night playing video games. Mm -hmm. Another young woman with sleep said, my mom doesn't understand. I'm so cheery 
in the morning. So they, <laughs> they really, they really recognize it. What, you know, one boy said, I can't believe my grades. They improved so much. Um, wow. I mm. got my homework done so much faster wow. because I wasn't distracted. So I think there can be really quick results. Fantastic. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you so much for everything that you're doing. Sure. Barbara. No. Thank you. I mean, again, knocking it out of the park with the guests you bring on, even though I feel a lot of guilt right now, I'm okay. <laughs> well, Eric, we'll have to check in with each other sometime and just Deal. say, are you putting that phone down a little earlier at night? Yeah. Yeah. So oh. we'll text each other, okay. right? On the yeah, phone. we will. Yeah. We'll text each other. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right. Well, any closing thoughts from you, Barbara? No, I just, just enjoyed Susan. We had a little pre-conversation and then yeah. having today's I'm looking forward to speaking with her again because right. I need her to keep me in line. So Absolutely. thank you, Susan. And I'm looking no. forward to seeing the results of this latest cohort. Yes. Absolutely. So I can't wait to get online and yeah. see what these kids are doing. Yep. We will keep you updated. Thank you right. so much. Okay. Well, Susan, I just want to echo what Barbara said. Thank you so much for being here. Of course, Barbara, we wouldn't be here without you. Thank you so much for facilitating this. And our last thank you always goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Keeping the Well and Wealthy with Barbara Archer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Barbara comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hightower, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to go out in the world and make a difference. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Wealth Advisors. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Wealth Advisors is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. 
This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity's specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions.